Hey, for the rest of us, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9 today. Luke chapter 9, if you have your paper version of your Bible, I invite you to turn there. If not, you can always uh, get the Version Bible app. And you click on the More tab, then Events, find us there, Hillside Missionary Church, under today's date. Hey, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. We're going to be uh, starting kind of a, a new train of thought with Jesus here in his ministry. In chapter 8, we saw him go with his disciples and teach them all about faith. We uh, talked about four separate instances where he said, hey, this is how people respond to me. This is what it looks like to have faith. And now he's turning to his disciples and saying, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn to go out and to reach people for me. He's completing the apprentice process with them. He's moving on to this next step. They have seen him do ministry. They've done ministry with him. And now he's turning to them and saying, hey, now it's your turn. Go out for a trial run. It's your turn now. So this is what it says here, Luke chapter 9. We're just going to read the first six verses. It says this, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. They departed and went through the villages, proclaiming the gospel and healing everywhere. We're going to talk about this and what this means for our lives today. Before we do that, though, as always, let's just go before God in prayer. Let's ask him to soften our hearts to whatever it is that he has for us. Pray with me, if you will. Jesus, again, we just thank you so much for your word. You're good, you're perfect, you're authoritative word over our lives. And so, Jesus, if there's something that you're calling us to do, I pray that we would do it. God, if there are people who you are calling us to reach out to, I pray that we would be faithful to that call. I pray that you would give us opportunities to do that and that you give us the words to say. Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much for everything you've done for us. Help us to be faithful with what it is that you're calling us to today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've got a question for you. Why are you here? I don't, I don't mean here at church. We're glad that you're here. But as Christians, we kind of answer that in three different ways, right? Like, what is our job here as Christians here on earth? Well, we look at the uh, greatest commandment that Jesus says. So uh, when uh, people go up to him, ask Jesus, what's the, what's the most important commandment? He says, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in one fell swoop, fell swoop he also says, the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. So we look at that and we go, okay, so to love God with everything you've got, love others. And also, we also look at the Great Commission. This is right after uh, Jesus has done his earthly ministry. He has died on the cross. He's risen three days later and he spent some time with his disciples and he's about ready to ascend back into heaven. He tells his disciples this in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus here, he says, hey, this is important. I need you to go out and to make disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but does this ever intimidate every, anyone here? I mean, it's okay. You can raise your hand. It, I'm a pastor. It intimidates me. Would it intimidate you if I said, hey, by the end of the day, I want you to go to Walmart. I want you to find an unbeliever 
and I want you to invite them into having a relationship with Jesus. Would that intimidate you? Uh, I don't know about you, but that would uh, probably make me have to change my underpants, right? Like, uh, this is just not a normal thing, right? Like, this is kind of scary. It's kind of a daunting process. And you might look at it and go, okay, how do I do that? How, how, do, I, how do I do that? I think by taking a look at this story here, where Jesus sends out his disciples on this short-term mission trip to go out and to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal people. I think by taking a look at this instance, we can also learn, okay, what about the mission that Jesus has put us all on? What does it look like to accomplish this? Because I think what we can have some really unhealthy mentalities about the mission that Jesus has put us here for, right? Have you ever heard someone say that, say, uh, say that you need to go out and make disciples, um, God needs your help to do this, right? We can have this like really pressurizing mindset about it to go, well, if, if I don't help God, then all these people are going to go to hell in a handbasket and it's all going to be my fault, right? And we can like almost put pressure on ourselves to do this. I think that that could be a really unhealthy mentality because whatever we're saying that God needs help, I think that it's, uh, there's something off with it, right? We know that God created the entire universe by just speaking it to an existence, so let me give you a, a little nugget of wisdom here. God does not need your help. He doesn't. He could do it himself, right? I mean, he created everything in the known universe. He created it all. He created Mount Everest. He created stars, the sun, the earth. I mean, everything. He doesn't need your help to do it, but he wants your help. Here's why. I, I, I like to think about it like this. Um, have you ever accomplished anything with anyone? Maybe uh, you and your spouse, you worked on a home project. Uh, the weather's nice out. Maybe you've been doing landscaping projects. Have you ever accomplished anything with anyone? What happens when you do a really good job and you accomplish something? I mean, just a, a difficult task with someone. You naturally grow in that relationship, right? This is why men who return home from the battlefield have very strong relationships with the men that uh, accomplished that with them and they fought side by side, right? I mean, they can come home with just these deep relationships with these other soldiers. That's because when we accomplish something, especially something difficult with someone else, we have the tendency to grow in that relationship. The problem is the flip side of that coin is also true. When we go into something, have, have you ever done a home improvement project, married people here with your spouse and it go well? Was it very fun with your spouse for the next couple days? No, right? Like, I can't believe that. Did you see that trim? There's nicks all over it. Are you kidding me? Right? Like, there's a, every time you walk past it, I can't believe He's an idiot. Right? Like, I mean, we think about this, right? And it hurts that relationship. Some of you are laughing because it's probably true, right? You've probably been in that. Now, think about it like this. If you were to accomplish something with the Lord, if the Lord says, hey, this is my mission, I want for everyone to be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that. That is the Lord's will that all would be saved. If God says, hey, I'm on this mission. I want to invite you in on what I am doing. And you two accomplish that together. You accomplish that with God. What do you think that would do for your relationship with the Lord? It would strengthen it, right? I mean, for those of you who have invited someone into a relationship with Jesus... Man, isn't it awesome? I can't tell you very many times that my faith has felt stronger than when I am sharing my faith in a genuine way where I'm genuinely inviting someone to have a relationship with Jesus. It can be one of the most encouraging times in our faith. The problem is the flip side of the coin is also true. 
When Jesus says, hey, I'm on this mission. I want to invite you in on this. I want you to come along and make disciples with me because this is my main goal here, to save as many people as possible. And you say, eh, <laughs> I'm good here. I'm good. I, I got some Netflix shows I want to get through and I uh, kind of got my own thing going on. I'm busy at work and uh, I don't know, other people are better at that than me. I'm kind of an awkward personality. And so I'm just going to let that to you, God, and uh, other people and uh, good luck with it. I'll be praying for you, right? When we do that, when we just let it go and just say, all right, you go accomplish this, what happens with your relationship with Jesus? Well, chances are you're going to stray away from him. You ever met a really grumpy old Christian, right? Chances are they're probably not out there sharing their faith, right? Not many people are attracted to, hey, kids, get off my lawn, right? I mean, it's just not going to happen. People aren't going to go, oh, do you love Jesus, right? Like that, those two things don't go together, right? But when you are sharing your faith, guess what happens? Now you have compassion and empathy for people and you're saying, hey, I was in your situation once. Can I let you know about what Jesus did for my life? So here's what I want to do today. I want to take a look at when Jesus sends out his disciples because it's a very important instance here. And this is just a short-term thing. This is just a trial run. Jesus is just saying, all right, here's the first step for you to be able to do this. Because one day, this is going to be the rest of your life. Like this is going to be the mission for the rest of your life to go out to make disciples. So I want to do this trial run. We'll see how it goes. Come back and we'll evaluate it and we'll talk about it. So this is what Jesus says. I want to point out five things that Jesus says to his disciples that can help us with our mission as well to understand the mission. Because when we understand the mission, when we understand what, why Jesus has put us here and we understand how to accomplish that with him, we can accomplish it so much better. Look at what he says to him. He says, and he called the 12 together. Did you catch that? Though, so we can infer by this that not all of the disciples are together all of the time. But in this instance, he calls them all together and says, hey, I need all 12 of you right here, right now. I'm going to send you out. Now, here's what I want to point out about this. Many times we are afraid to go and to share our faith because we feel like it's all on us, right? We're all alone in this. Here's what I want you to remember. You are not meant to accomplish this mission alone. You are not on your own on this. You have, if nothing else, a community right here sitting in this room of people who love Jesus and who want to help you accomplish this together. That's why church is so important that we get together constantly. Hebrews chapter 10 puts it like this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's the day of Jesus's return. It is extremely important that we gather together as Christians to encourage one another. Um, I don't know about you, but my alarm went off at 545 this morning, and it was one of those mornings where my first thought was, why is my alarm going off in the middle of the night? Oh, what is going on here, right? And you look at the phone, you're like, oh, it's morning already, right? Like it is sometimes just really tempting to go, nope, not today. I'll watch church online or not at all, right? Like this is just not happening. I'll catch it this afternoon or something, right? I mean, it's tempting to just look at these church activities and go, man, not today. You know what? I It's Sunday and it's pajama pants morning, right? Like it is just not happening. 
But I don't know about you, but every single time we gather together and we worship God and we dive into his word, man, I leave encouraged. I hope that you do too, that you leave encouraged. Colossians chapter three puts it like this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Did you know that part of the reason that we gather together and we sing songs together is not only to worship God, but also to encourage one another, to encourage one another to go out and to do what God has called us to do. Why? Because you're not on this on your own. And you might say, okay, I get that. I've got church. That's great. But I'm not you, Josh. Like I can't get up there and preach and make awkward comments that make people so awkward that they laugh every once in a while, right? Like this is just, it's not, I can't do that. And uh, you know, like, so I'm just going to give it to you. Listen, we all have a part. In fact, I would venture to say you probably see and interact with more unbelievers than I do. You know who my coworkers are? Nobody. I work alone. Okay. There's a basement full of Christians down there. They rent out our basement. It's a Christian foster agency, right? But I see them like once a day, hardly ever, right? It's just like, man, I, you guys interact with so many more unbelievers. If you have a job, I guarantee you there's probably unbelievers there now. There's probably unbelievers at your workplace that you can reach out to. First Corinthians puts it like this. Paul puts it in a very, uh, very applicable way. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. We all have a different job here. Some may be the harvesters, but the harvesters don't get to harvest if nobody planted and nobody watered. God causes people to grow and he causes people to be in certain situations where they can plant and they can water and they can harvest. But we all have a job to play in that. So here's what I want you to know. You're not alone on this. Sometimes we can have a really unhealthy mentality. Oh, you need to make a disciple who makes other disciples, who makes other disciples, who makes other disciples, who makes other disciples. Go, you do it now. Go, bye. And you're like, I can't do that process all on my own. It's okay, you're not meant to. You have a church that loves you and wants to do this together. Jesus, he calls them all together. And then he says this, he gives them authority and power over all demons and to cure diseases. Did you catch that? He gives them authority over these things. He gives them these things before he sends them out to go do the work. Here's the next thing that I think that we really need to understand about the mission, and that's that we are fully equipped. You have been fully equipped to do the things that God has called you to do. First Peter puts it like this, His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, who called us to his own glory and excellence. The Josh translation of that verse is that God has given you everything that you need to do to do everything that you're called to do. God's given it to you. I've used this example before, but I think it's just golden in this instance. Um, I have a two-year-old daughter. She's awesome. This week she came up to me and go, and uh, went, Daddy, I love you. Can I give you a hug? Just, I mean, just melts your heart away, right? And I would never call her and say, hey, we have a flat tire, Alana. Um, I need you to go out. I need you to get the donut out of the trunk. You got to kind of maneuver some things around. Uh, use the lug nut first. Uh, undo those lug nuts before you jack it up. Use the X jack. Be careful. It's the cheap one that came with the car, so it might topple over on you. Okay, so be, make sure it gets in a real good place on concrete. You know, no, that's ridiculous, right? 
I'm not going to ask my two-year-old sweet daughter, Alana, to change my tire. That's ridiculous. She would go to me and go, uh, want some ice cream, right? Like, I mean, she's, she's not even going to comprehend what a flat tire is, right? God is not going to call you to do something that you are unable to do. He's a good God. He knows what you have been equipped to do, and he's only going to call you to do the things that you have been equipped. Now, that doesn't mean that 10 years down the road, he's not going to continue to equip you and call you to greater and greater and greater things. Absolutely. That's a dream that all of us should have, that God would continue to transform us and continue to call us to do greater things that we can't do now. But God's not going to call you in the moment and say, hey, I need you to go uh, preach this sermon that you haven't prepared for in front of a thousand people, right? God doesn't call you to do that if you haven't been equipped to go and do that. But the good news is that he has equipped us to go and to have conversations with people. Romans chapter 8 puts it like this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. If the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you now, you can go and have that conversation. If God is calling you to do that, you have been equipped to do it. He doesn't ask you to do things that you haven't been equipped to do. You can go and do it knowing that you have been equipped. Here's the next thing I want to point out to you in chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 2. It says this, And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now most of us get this, right? He, to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's what most of us would probably remember. But here's what I want to point out as well. That's only half of it. He also calls them to heal. So proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Here's what I think we have to remember, that the mission is spiritual as well as physical. It's not just a spiritual notion where we are to go and to preach and tell people the truth. It's also a physical mission that Jesus cares about people's physical bodies, which is why he's calling his disciples to go out not only to proclaim the kingdom of God, but also to heal. And when I'm saying that, most of you probably know churches who focus on only spiritual things, right? Only, only that and um, neglect the physical well-being of others. Other people, no churches, who only focus on the physical and meeting people's physical needs, but never tell anyone about Jesus. Both of these are wrong. The truth is a both and that things are spiritual and physical. The mission that God has called us to is to proclaim the kingdom of God and also to heal. God cares about the physical things. James chapter 2 puts it like this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled, without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself does not have works, is dead. It's physical and it's spiritual. It's difficult to hear the gospel if you're starving and the hunger pains are stronger than what you're hearing. It's difficult to hear the, the gospel if you don't have the basics of what you need to survive which is why it's so important to understand what God calls us to when he says, go out and to make disciples. 
It's a physical and spiritual thing. We meet physical needs and we also meet spiritual needs. It's a both and type of a thing. It's not a one or the other. I know we're uh, running uh, low on time, so I want to go to our next point here too. In verses 3 and 4, he says to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. Why does Jesus say this? Like some people would say, okay, uh, if you're going out on missions, um, you just need to take the clothes on your back, no money, no nothing, um, good luck. Go out and do that. That would be a misinterpretation of this. This is just one instance. But Jesus actually calls his disciples to go and to do this again the night that he is betrayed. And he actually refers back to this notion. It's in Luke chapter 22. This is again at the end of Jesus's life here on earth. He says to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? Again, he's referring back to this instance in Luke chapter 9. They said nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and go buy one. So what is Jesus getting at here? Well, for the one instance here in Luke chapter 9, he's saying take nothing. But in Luke chapter 22, he's saying, hey, yeah, you need some things. Go be prepared. You're going to run into some crazy things and you're going to need some things to go and be prepared for this. So why in this one instance is Jesus saying, hey, don't take anything here? Well, what I think he's getting at is that this is a short-term trip here. This is short-term, and he doesn't want them to get distracted. There were other traveling preachers at that time. They would go around, and they would speak, and they would ask people for money. And then they would uh, get, and some of these people, they had a very unhealthy mentality. They would get very wealthy off of this, and they were just in it for the money. And so some people think that uh, when Jesus is saying, hey, don't bring any knapsack or anything like that, uh, they're saying, hey, don't get anything to get money. And I think that is part of it, that they shouldn't get distracted by the money. But I think it's deeper than that. Because look at what he's saying. He said, hey, um, whenever you go into a house, uh, you enter there and then you stay there and then you leave there. So and imagine if you're one of these disciples, you're going out, and Mark tells us that they were going out two by two. So you and another disciple, let's say you got Bartholomew by your side. I just like his name. We know hardly anything about him. By, but anyway, so, sorry, I got distracted. So you got Bartholomew. Hey, Bart, uh, let's go. This guy's house looks good. And back then, you would just go to someone's house and say, hey, can I stay there? It's kind of weird today. If you do that, you might get arrested. I'm not sure, but it was just that's just how it was just normal back then. And so you and Bart, you're up on this bunk room. Maybe you're kind of in a loft and it's uncomfortable. And you start going out and you start preaching and things start going really well. You start getting a little following. And then somebody comes up to you and go, oh, you know what? I can't believe you're staying at that guy's shack. Um, you know what? I've got an in-law suite, and uh, I just kicked out my mother-in-law. So why don't you come on over here, and uh, you can stay in this nice one. I got a pool in the back. It's going to be great, right? And you go, man, that sounds pretty good, right? So I'm going to go from this shack and go stay there. And what happens? Well, now suddenly you're much more focused on your own comfort than you are the mission that God put you there for. Remember, this is just a short-term thing that Jesus is calling them to. What is Jesus getting at with all of these things that he's telling them? I think what he's trying to tell them is that your job is to stay on mission and not get distracted here. 
So what do we learn by this? I think it's not to get distracted by our own comforts. Because let's be honest, it is super easy, especially in the culture and society that we live in today here in the United States, to get distracted by a lot of comforts. We have almost anything you could possibly desire at your fingertips. I mean, just think about even a couple hundred years ago, like if you wanted a, a, a foreign dish of food, I mean, you would have to go to that country probably or find someone. I mean, today, you, here in South Bend, you could probably find a dozen different nationalities, if not more, of food and go get whatever you want for lunch. I mean, it's just amazing what you could get. You could uh, get the Amazon app on your phone and order basically whatever you could possibly want, and it's going to show up uh, on your doorstep this week, right? I mean, just crazy. I think it's very, very, very important that especially in today's culture and society, that we not get distracted by comforts. Because it's super easy to get involved in the rat race and go, man, I'm going to go take that promotion and go make more money so I can get a bigger house and a bigger car and I'm going to impress those people and I'm going to have this, this, and this and I'll have, be happy and I'll have everything I could ever need. Does that ever really work out for anyone? No, right? And Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to stay on mission. You're not here for very long. Jesus is coming back soon. And you got to stay on mission here. We can't get distracted by all of the things. We have to be content with what we have and say, hey, you know what? My mission here is to praise God, to grow in that relationship, to love others, and to disciple others. That's my job here on earth. The Bible is constantly talking about being content. Hebrews chapter 13 says, keep your life free from money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, Now that I am, uh, or not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What if we had more of that attitude? To say, you know what, the stuff is nice, but I'm not focused on it. I'm not focused on the stuff. I'm staying on mission here. First Timothy chapter 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. We cannot get distracted by physical comforts. We can't. Don't get distracted. Stay on mission. Keep going. One more thing I want to point out here in Luke chapter 9, verse 5. It says, And whatever, I'm sorry, uh, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So you might say, Why is that a testimony? Like you're just getting dirt off your feet. What's the big deal about that? Well, Back then, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, these really pristine religious leaders, what they would do is uh, in Israel, there was a, a, a portion of Israel that to get to one portion of the country to the other, you would have to go through Gentile territory. I mean, you could make the journey, but it would take you far longer to stay in Israelite territory. So it was very common to go through Gentile territory. When they were done getting through the Gentile territory, what they would do is they would literally shake the dirt off of their feet because they viewed that dirt, that Gentile dirt, as dirty, and they didn't want to bring it in to Israelite territory. 
So it was a, a very off-putting thing, right? I mean, if someone that came into your house, like it's almost like them like keeping their, your shoes on when you ask them to take it off, right? Hey, could you take off your shoes? Um, no, your floors are pretty dirty, right? Like it's almost like you'd be like, what? Like, like, okay, so it's almost like that. It's almost like an insult that they're doing here. And so when Jesus is saying, hey, shake, your, shake the dust off your feet and move on. He's saying, don't get hung up on this. Don't get hung up on this. Just shake, your, shake the dust off your feet and keep on moving. What is Jesus saying here? I think what he's saying is don't get discouraged by the failures. Don't get discouraged by rejection. Why? Because it's going to happen. When you go out and share your faith, here's a really harsh reality. You ready for it? It's not always going to work. And that's really hard to deal with sometimes. And some of us take that really personally, right? I mean, it's hard not to. It's hard not to go, man, I thought this was going to be awesome. I've been praying for them. And I had just the perfect words in my mind to say. And man, I, I, I had a different outcome in my mind. It's not always going to work. And that's the harsh reality of it. And we cannot get discouraged by it because the tendency is to go, well, you know what? I tried and this stinks. So I'm never trying ever, ever again. I'm, I'm never trying to share my faith again because of this one instance where it went really, really poorly. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 those are bound to happen. Shake the dust off your feet and keep on moving. You can't get hung up by it. You got to keep on moving. You can't get so discouraged by rejections and failures that you just give up on inviting people to have a relationship with Jesus. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 puts it like this. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Yeah, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's just so easy to think, man, Let's just do this thing and, 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 and move on. And I'm not really going to worry about sharing my faith. What if we took this to heart, though? What if we took Galatians 6.9 to heart? Let's not grow weary. Let's not get tired. Let's keep on going. Let's keep on going. Let's keep pursuing God. Let's go on this journey that He's asking us to go on with Him to accomplish this mission together. Jesus, when He gives us the Great Commission, says, Behold, I will be with you always till the end of the age. What if we said, All right, Jesus, I know it's been hard. Go at it. I know we've gotten a lot of failures. I know we've gotten a lot of rejections. But I trust in you. I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on going, even when life's really hard, even when I don't feel like it. I'm going to keep on going. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to shake the dust off my feet and I'm going to keep doing what you've called me to do. Let me ask you a question. How would your faith be different? How would your relationship with Jesus be different if you truly took these things to heart? If you truly took these things to heart and you did what God called you to do, even when it was hard, you kept on going. And you didn't get distracted by stuff. You kept on mission. And you realized it was spiritual as well as physical. And you didn't get like just like tweaked out because you were fearful, because you didn't feel like you were equipped, but you knew, man, God, if he's called me to do this, he must have equipped me for this. And you knew that you got a team of people around you to do it too. And you started inviting people to have a relationship with Jesus. I want you to think about what your life would look like what your faith would look like.
Would you have a deeper faith in Jesus? Would, you, would your relationship with God be totally different? It could be. It could be the case where, man, things have been rough in your relationship with Jesus. Things have just been really, really hard and rocky. And maybe this COVID season that we've just gotten through, or hopefully we're at the tail end of this thing, like maybe you're looking at that and go, man, my relationship with God, it just hasn't been good. Maybe it's because we haven't been doing this. Maybe it's because we haven't been inviting people into a relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you guys, it can be really difficult. It can be really difficult to do this. But this is what God has called us all to do. And you're not alone here. There is a group of people right here in this room that want to do it with you. Let's be those people that invite people in to have a relationship with God. Pray with me, if you will. Jesus, we thank you again for everything that you've done for us. And we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. And so, God, I pray that we wouldn't be fearful about sharing our faith. But, God, that you would encourage us. You would encourage us to do it more and more. And that you would lead us to have conversations with people, to show people your love. God, I pray that we wouldn't be fake about it or uh, judgmental about sharing our faith, but that we would be genuine. And that we could truly say to people, this is what God has done for me. And I think he'd like to do it for you too. God, I pray that you give us all that attitude. Give us all the attitude that, man, just breaks our heart for people who don't know you. Would you break our heart for people, God? People who are lost. God, we all know those people. We all have people in our lives who don't know you. I pray that you would help us to have those conversations, that you would soften their hearts to whatever it is that you have for them. And that we could do this work together with you. That we would know that we're not all alone, but that God, you are with us till the end of the age. And that we're just here accomplishing this mission alongside you. Like a good parent who shows their child how to accomplish something. God, you are a good father to us. Help us to accomplish this together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.